Let's pray. God and Father, would it be you who is here? Would it be you who is speaking? Would it be you who is filling us so we can go and become and be the people that you've made us to be? Father, I pray as we open your word that we would just have an encounter with your love, we'd have an encounter with your goodness, and that we would walk out of here changed. All these things in Jesus' name, amen. The series is called Book of Acts Master Class. And what we are doing started last week, so you're not too far behind if this is new to you, is a verse-by-verse walkthrough of the Book of Acts. And now if you are here and you're going, what the heck is the Book of Acts? Well, I'll tell you, if you were flipping through your New Testament, it'd go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And then Acts is simply a continuation of the Jesus story. It was actually written by Luke. So when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke who wrote Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In Luke, he tells about everything that happened in the life of Jesus. And then in Acts, he continues to tell what Jesus continued to do through his Holy Spirit, and through the church. And so we did some review. There was this map about 10,030. This book of Acts that we're going to be in covers about 30 years of history. So from the time of Jesus's resurrection to the time uh, 30 years after that, as the church began to grow and spread through the Roman Empire, it also covers about 10,000 miles of gospel travel. And so you'll see there that we're going to look at these missionary expeditions that were a part of spreading the gospel, not just through the Roman Empire, but through the world. We talked last week about how the faith you and I have today can be traced back to what happened in the book of Acts. We said the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we did a lot of work on this last week. I'd encourage you, you can always jump back on our YouTube page and catch messages from YouTube there. But the Holy Spirit is the main character of the book of Acts. And so you're like, why did they call it Acts? Well, it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit spreading the gospel through the church that are recorded in this book that we simply call Acts. And then we talked last week about how as believers, when, when you repent and are baptized, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And so as New Testament believers, which we are, we are guided, we are shaped, we are formed, we are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what it is that Jesus has called us to do with our lives and to be who it is that he's made us to be in our time here on earth. And so last week, quick last part of review, uh, it's Jesus He's raised from the dead. There's a 40-day period of time where Jesus is alive. And during that 40-day period of time, he shows himself to different disciples. He does several things. We talked about that. But the key thing that Jesus told all of his disciples, even though they had been with him for three years, is, hey, guys, I don't want you to go and do anything. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit because you don't stand a chance without the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your lives. And so that gets us here. And then Jesus gives those the disciples those instructions, and then he ascends to heaven, okay? That's called the ascension, okay? You might have heard about this. Uh, you, you got a, a faith background, a Catholic background. You've probably heard the word ascension before. It is not just... Jesus took off like a rocket ship and then breached the atmosphere and went to space somewhere uh, as it's recorded. He's taken up into the sky. There's a big bright, bright light. Boom. Jesus is gone. So death, resurrection, ascension. And in chapter one, 
verse 10 of the book of Acts, we see what happens next. They, that's the disciples who are there, were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white, we can safely assume these are angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And this is where we are promised that one day Jesus will return. If you're doing Bible study and you're taking notes in maybe a momentum journal or in your scripture, you could just put a little note next to it that says Revelation 21. Uh, The book of Revelation chapter 21 shows what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. But here's what I just noted on this, and we're going to keep moving in just a second. We are hard on the disciples. You know, why are they always knuckleheads? Why do they never get it? Why are Jesus tells them something and then they do the opposite. Okay, we bully the disciples a lot, but I'm with them on this one, okay? The angel shows up. I mean, can, can, you, can you just be with these guys for a minute? You're with Jesus for three years. You watch him get killed, and then all of a sudden he shows up alive again, and he goes, no, trust me, I'm alive, and guys, you need the Holy Spirit and stay in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. Ooh, boom, and he's gone, and then angels come up with the audacity. I bet they're like, hey, watch this. Hey, guys, what are you, like, these angels go, hey, what are you looking at? If I'm there, I'm going, uh, I don't know. Maybe Jesus was with me for three years. They killed him. He came back. Then we were here. He went into the sky. Poof, flash of light. Can I just stare up here for just a moment? Maybe. That's just me. Verse 12, it continues, and it tells us what happens next. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So you get the picture. Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit and this group of disciples and Jesus' mother and brothers and presumably Mary and Martha and the disciples lifted. They go to this room and, and there they're praying together. Isn't it interesting how a little adversity can bring people together? If we just ran through that list really quickly, we would remember that just moments, about 40 days ago, James and John, their mother, they were walking into Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified and their mother is trying to tell Jesus that, hey, when you come into your glory, when you make it, when you become famous, I want my sons, James and John, to be at your right and your left hand. And then there's this argument about the disciples like, hey, no way. They weren't mad that they did this. They were mad that somebody asked to be at Jesus's right, left hand before they did. And so there's this bickering or the last time we saw Mary and Martha, what were they doing? They were complaining. One of them was at Jesus's feet listening to him and the other was doing all the work. And they were like, how come she's doing, I'm doing all the work and she's just listening and I'm doing all the work, but she's just, can you guess which one was the firstborn in that situation, by the way? And, And they're bickering. And then, and there's, there's Thomas is there and he didn't even believe in Jesus. And then all of a sudden Jesus is gone now and they're alone and they're frightened and they don't know what's coming next and they're waiting for this gift called the Holy Spirit that's supposed to come and show up and change things. And so now this group of people who are always at odds with one another is joined together in prayer. Anybody ever grow up with a brother or sister 
and, and you are playing and, and you shove them. You're in your room playing and you shove them and then they shoved you and, and you're carrying on and you're playing and somebody gets shoved a little too hard and then they bump their head and now somebody's crying in the room and you're like, shh, 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 shh. like you're trying to make it good because then you hear the footsteps of mom coming and you know she's just about to give everybody a whooping. Like it doesn't even matter what happened in here. We'll just clean house. And, you, and then what happens to you and your sibling? You become tight friends real fast, don't you? Oh, no, we were just hanging out, and, and I was, um, see, he had this lump on the back of his head, and it was already there. Yeah, mom, it was already there. I had this lump, and I just asked him to check out the lump, and he's like, I was being a good brother. I, I wanted to check out the lump just to make sure that they're okay. I mean, you can never be too careful with these things. We were just up here doing some prayer and Bible study, and he, he checked out the lump, and we're good, mom, we're good. That's the disciples. The absence of Jesus, praise God, brought them Together, they're praying, Jesus follower, do not forget Jesus' words. In Luke chapter 9, verse 50, whoever is not against you is for you. Jesus follower, never forget whose side you're on and who the real enemy is. Listen, there are so many different ways to follow Jesus. You might do it a little different than me, or there might be a church down the way that does it different than us. There might be people who emphasize different things, who educate their kids differently for different reasons. But can I tell you something? If you are for Jesus, you are for his word, you are for his kingdom reigning here on earth, then I'm for you. That's why you're not going to hear me waste my breath ever critiquing another pastor from this stage. Because here's the deal. We need us all. The world is not gradually turning into a nicer and nicer place that's more loving and receptive to the things of God. We need us all. Uh, people love to bully Joel Osteen because maybe it's too light and it's too nice. And why does he just tell you to smile? The Bible doesn't say smile. Actually, it does. But second of all, when I was a young man and a new pastor, I served at this big church. And sometimes you would be pastor on call. And the pastor pastor on call would be the person for that time frame, you know, for this afternoon, you're the pastor on call. So if anyone comes in with an emergency, it's going to be on you. And, and then I, I saw this happen on more than one occasion. There were people with these really rough lives. One young lady, I can't make this up. She, she danced for a living. I'll just say that to, to be clear about what I'm saying here. And her life was a mess and she had a drug issue and and she showed up at the church one day and I said, well, what brought you to this church? And she's like, my life is horrible. I'm being abused. I don't like myself anymore. But I was watching TV last night and there was this pastor and his name was Joel. I don't remember his last name. And he said that if you trust God, he can change your life. And so I didn't know what to do. And I came here to the church because I just need some help. Jesus follower, do not forget who your friends are and who the true enemy is. Let's continue. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, brothers and sisters, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who had arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Peter stands up as they're in prayer and he goes, guys, we got to do something here. Judas, if you know the story of the end of Jesus' life, betrays Jesus. A group of people pay him a sum of money, and, and then he leads the people who wanted to kill Jesus to Jesus, and, and they arrest him. Well, Judas ends up taking his own life, if you read the rest of the story. So Judas is gone, and, and Peter stands up, and he goes, you guys, 
uh, Scripture told us about this. Verse 24, said Peter, it's written in the book of the Psalms. May his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. And so what Peter does, and this is amazing. We're going to sit down on this for a minute. What Peter does is he looks back in the Old Testament scriptures and he goes, you guys, the Bible told us this was coming. The Bible told us there was going to be this one and he would betray Jesus and, and then it would be on us to find somebody else to replace him. And, 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 and that's what's happening right here and right now. And you, oh my gosh, okay, if we're doing an Acts flyby, I'd go, and therefore read your Bibles. But this is Acts Masterclass and we're going to dig into this for a minute and you got to see what Peter did because this is incredible. Peter does what he saw Jesus do all the time when Jesus was still alive. When Jesus walked the earth, it was common for Jesus to point to Old Testament scriptures that he was fulfilling in real time and go, guys, remember how the scriptures promised this? It's happening right now. Like here's, here's some good ones. There, he preaches his first sermon. Jesus' first sermon ever was on Isaiah 61. And he opens up the scroll and he reads it to everybody and goes, hey, you know that day? You know that day that's coming where all the tears are going to be wiped away and, and, and the Lord's going to send somebody to deal with oppression once and for all? Hey, guess what? This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're looking at it. There's this time when the disciples come up to Jesus after he tells this parable and they go, Jesus, why are you always telling these stories? Like, nobody understands what you're saying. Like, he goes, yeah, well, if they wanted to understand, they'd come up and ask a follow-up question. But do you remember what Isaiah said in chapter six? He said, they're gonna be always seeing but never perceiving. It's happening right now. The, there was John the Baptist who came before Jesus and he was like this messenger and he's clearing the way for Jesus and he's saying, hey, he's coming, he's coming. And Jesus uh, pointed to Malachi chapter three and he said, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. And this means two important things for us. Number one, can I tell you something? Here's what we're starting to see as we study this book. The eyes and hearts and minds of the disciples are becoming enlightened. They're starting to get it. Peter, he, he's becoming more mature. He's with Jesus and he learns from Jesus and he's watching Jesus and then all of a sudden Jesus is gone. And, and what does Peter do in Jesus' absence? He does what he saw Jesus doing. My friends, that is what Christian maturity is all about. Our goal, our vision for maturity and growing into the likeness of Christ should be what we see. Peter spent so much time with Jesus that when Jesus wasn't there, Peter did Jesus things in Jesus' absence. My friends, that should be your goal, to be so tight and so close and so wrapped up in Jesus that you start to do Jesus things. It's that you would become like him and you would do what he does in his absence and the Holy Spirit would empower you in those things and you'd be shaped into his, his form. Because of that, that's what maturity is. Second big takeaway here. There's no one like Jesus. For you math nerds, let me give you some numbers. There are over 324 prophecies or statements about who Jesus would be in the Old Testament written about Jesus thousands of years before. Oh, hold on, you can't miss this. This is so good. 
Old Testament is over 300 prophecies about who Jesus would be and the kind of life he would live, the way he would suffer, what he would teach, who God made him to be. 324 different instances that are verifiable that were thousands of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. They're in there. And they did some study on this. And they discovered the odds of one person... Not not fulfilling all 324 prophecies. The odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies are, I can't even pronounce this number, 10 to the 17th power. One with 17 zeros after it. The odds of somebody fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Here, here this will make it better. I'm, an, I'm a knucklehead too, so this is the one that got me. If, if you took uh, silver dollars, right, and covered the state of Texas in silver dollars until the silver dollars were stacked two feet high, and then you took one and you painted it, you know, it's a red silver dollar, and then you threw it somewhere at random in the state of Texas, and then I took somebody... I blindfolded them, spun them around four times, and said, go grab me one silver dollar. The odds of Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies is like somebody blindfolded in Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars, taking one pull and grabbing out the painted silver dollar. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus can be trusted You can trust Jesus with your life. He is not some cultural figure. He's not a wise teacher. He's not some person that you're going to scroll by on Instagram giving you another tip about how to become the best version of yourself. No, he is the one that God orchestrated through history to come from the Father, full of grace and truth, and you can trust him with your life. There is no greater foundation for your life than a life built on Jesus Christ. You got got anxiety inside you. Can I tell you something? There is nothing better for the anxiety than a confidence in the fact that you're walking with Jesus, you're held by Jesus, he's fighting for you, he's with you, and he said he will never forsake you ever. You got marriage and you want it to last and you want it to be a marriage of substance that goes the distance. I want no teeth, rocking chairs, holding hands, the whole thing. I want that kind of marriage to happen. You know who's gonna get you there? It's Jesus. You know, you you got problems, you got issues, you got parts of you that you wish were different, do you know what is going to change those parts from the inside out and set you free in new ways that you could barely imagine? It is a life built on Jesus. He can be trusted. Now, I got to warn you. Our verses are about to get weird. Acts one twenty one. therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us The whole time the Lord Jesus was living amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, this is, all right, we're good. We're good, right? They got to pick somebody. They said, they got to replace Judas. I'm tracking. 
Uh, it'd be best if it was somebody who saw the whole life of Jesus from the time he was baptized to the time he went up into the sky. We need somebody to do that. Let's pick one of these guys. And now we're about to get a little plot twist. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bar Sabbath, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. We're, we're doing great. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and a lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. What? We were doing great. We were doing great, right? Like, they were in a room together, and like, Jesus is missing, like, yeah, we we gotta we gotta stick together, and they're like Jesus's mom is there, and they're like comforting her, and they're holding Mary. It's okay, like this is part of God's plan. And and the disciples they used to argue, and they've put it all behind them. And and, and then they're like, we gotta choose a new disciple because we gotta take the name of Jesus to the nations. And they're like, yes. And Peter's like, I'm, hey guys, let's get in our Bibles. Oh my gosh, the Bible says that we gotta add somebody. And then and then they're all together and they're praying, and then they cast lots. Do you know what that means? That means they rolled some dice. Do you, you tracking? Like, Lord, we need you. And oh my gosh, and Mary's going to be okay. We got to spread the gospel. We got to add another believer. And Peter's like, yeah, come on. How are we going to do that? And they're like, uh, Yaxi. And hey, congratulations, Matthias. You are the new apostle. Like, what? Do you, do you know how stressed out I was on Monday? I'm sitting here, like Monday's my message prep day. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, these people are going to wake up early. They're going to get their, their children ready. And they're going to come. And we're going to set up all this stuff. And, and people are like, man, I need hope. I'm tired. I'm anxious. I'm wore out. i got a lot going on. And my whole life is crazy right now. And they're going to be like, oh, man, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be fed with the scriptures. I'm going to get some hope. And I got Yahtzee. I was struggling. If this sounds weird to you, trust me when I say it sounds weird to me, too. Which is why I thank God for the life and ministry of Pastor David Guzik. Guzik is this an amazing pastor. He's preached the entirety of Scripture. He's preached every verse in the Bible. Once he finished, he turned back around and he turned it all into a commentary series. And, and so anytime I get to something, EnduringWord.com, I'm telling you guys, it's awesome. If you're ever reading your Bible, you're like, what's happening here? EnduringWord.com, that's where I go. And, and, then, and, and then he gets to this passage and... and and Guzik said something amazing. He was like, yeah, the disciples cast lots. They rolled dice. But what they did here is a lot better than a lot of the ways people make decisions today. In and out of the church. And he said, think about it. Don't you know somebody who regularly make such poor decisions that they'd be better off rolling some dice from time to time? You're like, yeah, they live down the hall. I'm raising them. They, they have a bedroom. I wish they didn't live here. But yes, I do know someone like that. But I can, I mean, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be the first to go there. I know times in my life where I was so selfish. I was so wrapped up in my flesh. I was so self-centered that those seasons of my life, I might have done a little better by rolling dice to make my decisions. 
And I want to stop and, and I want to unearth from this text, this bizarre text, some of the things that the disciples nail in this passage. We're going to talk about how to find the will of God for your life, how to make decisions. But first, I want to tell you what we shouldn't do. These are the, the places and spaces. Here's your bad decisions guide. And, and this is what Guzik meant when he said a lot of people would be better off with dice. He said there's people who make decisions strictly on emotion. And it was a bad day. It wasn't like this bad day where somebody punched you in the face. It was a bad week where like one small thing happened on Monday and then one small thing happened on Wednesday. And by Friday, you're like, did God curse me this week? And I didn't know it. Like maybe I'm not supposed to be doing what I'm doing. This feels terrible. Or on the other hand, something feels really, really good, which is kind of like your appetites. Number two, you're just following what your body wants to do. Oh yeah, like nobody's watching. It'll feel good. I've been stressed out. I mean, like, it'll be okay. Like, I'm not going to hurt anyone, right? So I can indulge like I want to indulge, like, uh, other people's opinions. It's decisions based on what's going to make them smile at me, what's going to make them happy, what's going to make me get noticed by them. And then it's affirmation seeking. And what I mean, it's like, it's not wise counsel, like, hey, here's the Bible, and here's some friends that love Jesus. It's when you've already made up your mind about what you want to do. So you go talk to about it at the friends that, to the friends who you know will just support you and give you a pass. And you go ask the people that you know are going to encourage you to do what it is you've already made up your mind to do. And Guzik says if that's your model for making decisions, the dice would probably be a step in the right direction. But I want to sit down on this, and, and it's all here in our scriptures. We actually have some great stuff in here for finding the will of God for our life and for making decisions. I got a graphic, and it's going to keep updating. And so if you're like, let me take a picture of the notes kind of person, I would just wait till the end because it'll all be there. But when you, when you look at what the disciples do here so well, um, they start in God's word. Peter chimes in, and he goes, guys, I, I was reading my Bible, and the Bible explained what we should be doing at this point in time. And, and, and the scripture says here that we need to appoint another person. Cheers to Peter for realizing the beginning of making good decisions is God's word. Psalm 119, 105, one of my favorite verses. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. A lamp for my feet and a light for my path. When you know God's word, you know God's will. When you are in God's word on a daily basis, it's, it's like a lamp providing just enough light for you to take the next step. We often want a spotlight where I can see into the future. I want to know that it's all going to be okay and show me this, this is going to give me the happily ever after. Okay, I'll walk. No, 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 no. It, it says step by step, it's like a lamp and it's going to help you take the next step that God has led you to. And here's what you need to know about God's will and God's word. God is not going to lead you to something that is against his word. It, God, God is not going to lead you to do something that violates the commandments in his word, even if you have a good justification for it. You're like, yeah, I'm going to date this guy. Like, he's great, and he's cool. I mean, he loves, you know, fantasy football, and he's a pretty good dude, and all this stuff. Does he love Jesus? No, he doesn't really have a faith, but I was thinking, like, if we start dating, he'll come to church with me, and then if he comes to church with me, oh my gosh, things will get better, and, and boy, oh boy, then Jesus will train. No, Jesus did not call you to be a missionary dater. He called you to follow him, 
Uh, scriptures have a lot to say about relationships when you're unequally yoked or not on the same plane spiritually, and it's always a recipe for disaster. You don't need to think you can go and pay off your debts by getting on DraftKings and, and getting on the parlay and like, hey, we got some debt over here, but maybe if I go over to DraftKings, I could kind of clean this up sooner, and then I'll pray and I'll tell the Lord that I'm going to bless him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give back to God. Hey, God, get me on this jam with the DraftKings, and I'll give some of the money back to people, and then we'll all be good. And I'll tell everybody, you are my savior. No, 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 no. God doesn't need you to start a gambling habit to overcome your overspending habit. You stick with God's word. And and when you get into it, God's word is so full of God's will. It's God's will that we pursue righteousness and holiness. It's his will that we flee from immorality. It's his will that we love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. It's his will that we love our neighbors as ourselves. It's his will that we care for the needy and fight for people who can't fight for themselves. It's God's will that we would make disciples, that make disciples to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's this uh, guy, Oswald Chambers, wrote this book called My Utmost for His Highest. And it's this incredible little devotional and it's old school and it's so good. And in it, Chambers says, the well-fed Christian should never have to ask what the will of God is. And he says, imagine you're hiking, and if you're hiking, when is the only time when you need to ask where the path is? When you're off the path. And he says, Christian, you've been given the path. You've been given the path to righteousness, to love, to light, to life, to fruit, towards the marriage you want, towards the relationships you want, towards the friendships you want, towards the family you want, towards kids growing into the kind of people. You have the path. All you have to do is stay on it. Other thing we see the disciples do here is they lean on community. We talk about this all the time. This is Proverbs fifteen twenty two for Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Walk with the wise, become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And one thing the disciples do so well here is they lean on each other. And in the midst of adversity, they don't turn on one another. They're drawn closer together. What a beautiful picture for us. And again, we talk about this all the time, but I just want to state we should normalize asking each other for advice more often. Like, like in community groups, and I've been a part of a bunch of them, we always have our time. There's like an icebreaker, and then we talk about the Bible and hang out, and then we do prayer requests. But I'm serious, like in good Christian community, there should be an extra slot in your community group where if you have a big decision to make or something you're going through, you go, hey, everyone, here's what I'm dealing with. Like, like not a couple years ago, uh, I was thinking, you know, starting, thinking of starting a conversation with my parents about moving out here. And it's like, okay, we've got this place. They could sell that place. We could buy the Casita place and kind of live together and see how that thing would go. And, and, and I grabbed a friend, somebody who goes to church here. And I said, hey, here's, every, here's the finances behind it. Here's the relational dynamics. Here's what we're experiencing. Here's what we're going through. Um, what do you think? And I think if we were following this example, this would be a way more common practice here in the church, that we would lean on each other and talk to each other about the will of God. I love the next one. They use some sanctified common sense. I love that, see, sometimes we get so worried about finding God's will or so concerned that it's all going to work out or like we're waiting for this voice from the sky and we don't hear a voice from the sky. We just kind of think and we don't know what to do. Well, 
I love that they use some sanctified common sense here. Sometimes I, you could say they just analyze the circumstance, but I didn't want to put circumstance because that could be confusing because sometimes circumstances could be misleading. And so they just put their heads together. They're like, okay, we need somebody. We want somebody that's like seen the whole thing because then we don't have to explain everything. All right, let, let's, let's choose one of these guys. They literally just use, sanctified means like Jesusified, like dipped in Jesus, okay? It's, it's soaking with Jesus. They have common sense, but soaking with Jesus, and they apply it to the situation in front of them. I love this, and we're not going to go there today because it's for another chapter, but in chapter 15, the disciples have this huge decision to make. Like, literally, it shaped your life today, it, and it goes all the way back to this decision they made in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and, and it's a huge decision. And they get together and they deliberate. And, and I, I put the verse right in there. It, it, they come out and they go, well, it seemed good to us. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So here we go. That's it. And I love the ease though. Because here, here's the thing. If I truly believe that God is up there and he's made himself known to me and he loves me and his Holy Spirit is always active fighting for my good, my decisions should not be as scary as I make them out to be. If I truly believe this stuff and that, that like Romans 8, like he's going to work all things together for my good, I can breathe a little bit when it's time to pick a paint color. I can breathe a little bit when I have to send a kid to college because he's active, he's fighting for us, he's working for us, and, and he's promised to see all things together for our good. And so it's, it's reasonable to just apply some common sense. If there's two jobs and it's like, all the things are equal in these two jobs. It's like, this job is pretty good. It's a good job and all this stuff. And this job is pretty good. The only difference in these two jobs is this one pays 10K more a year. It, just pick the one that makes more money. If two guys are into you and, and they're both really good guys and, and, and they're great track records and they love Jesus and everything's the same about the two guys, but one of them's a little hotter than the other one, pick the hot one. You have better looking babies. It's just sanctified common sense, and that's okay. And I'm joking a little bit, but here's what the myth that we have to get rid of in the church. The myth is that you get extra points for unnecessary suffering. The myth is my life is starting to go pretty good, and I got to walk on eggshells now because God probably wants to stamp me back down. It is a myth from the pit of hell that you have to do undue suffering in this life. The world and Satan and sin and fallen enough, fallenness will throw enough suffering your way. You don't have to go looking for it. It is okay for you to use your common sense, the mind and the heart that God has given you to navigate this life. We see the disciples do it and it's okay for us too. Last one's prayer. They're together. What are they doing at the very beginning of this passage? They are together in prayer. And I wanted to do something a little bit better this morning than just saying, and therefore, go pray about your decisions. Okay, here's what happens every time. A pastor says, hey, you got to pray about it. And you're like, I did pray about it. And you're like, what'd you hear? Well, I didn't hear anything. And you're like, well, we, uh, God, um, if you're up there and this is your will, what if it's not the will of God? What if I'm asking for something, but it's not God's will and I'm praying for it and he's already made up his mind about his will? Am I just praying in vain? What am I doing? Can I give you a better prayer this morning? Here's what I've come to lean on. Uh, if you go to the next one for me, it just simply says this, God, I, I'm going to start moving. Hey, I, I've been in the word. This, is, this goes with your word. Uh, I've talked to my friends and the wise counsel. I'm using my sanctified common sense. It kind of looks like I should go this way, but here's my deal, God. I'm going to start moving towards this. 
but my hands are open. And so listen, God, hey, I'm going here, but where I really want to be, God, is where you want me to be. What I really want to do, God, is what you want me to do. And so I'm going to walk this way. Hey, band, you guys could come on up. We're going to wrap on this. I'm going to walk this way. But I'm going to walk this way with open hands. I'm going to walk this way. And if, if I get near where I thought I was going to go and you bump me this way, God, I'm good with that because I want to be where you want me to be. There's two things that happen when you start praying like this. One, you get unstuck. So often we sweat this God's will thing. God, is it this? Is it that? I don't know. Is it this place? Is it that place? Is it him? Is it him? Is it, is it this school? Is it that school? Is it this move? Is it that move? Is it this business? Is it that business? We end up frozen. But what this does is it puts faith and activity together. And it covers them in humility. Where we would say, God, I want to go where you want me. I know I have faith. I know you're calling me to move. I know this ain't it. And I'm going to walk this way, but I'm going to trust you. It makes a difference. I like this, and I, I tie this whole scripture together. I'm just remembering Isaiah 9-2. It was another prophecy. And it simply says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You know who that light is? Jesus. And the life that Jesus lived, the death he died, the resurrection, this whole story we're reading, it's the story of God moving so you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. It is the story of God moving. So you don't have to wander through this life blind. You have hope. You have one you can trust. You have somebody who's there for you, fighting for you, who says, I'm willing to guide you into my will. And that matters. And friends, I pray that we sit on that this morning. I pray that we clothe our hearts in that. If that's one of those truths that we refuse to let get old to us. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to do one more song. I want you to pray with me as we finish up. Uh, God and Father, I thank you that you haven't left us to wander in darkness. I thank you that you haven't left us on our own by ourselves. But that you're a God who's willing to guide us. That you're a God who's there with us, fighting for us, moving so we could know you. I pray that as we sing, you would continue to shape these realities in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.